Hey, had a great conversation today on the podcast with Stephen Angelette. He's a healthcare uh, law attorney here in Dallas, and we talked about the future of healthcare, some of the trends that COVID helped accelerate. We talked about Amazon and Apple uh, getting in the business, and also he's a fellow Saints fan, so we talk, so we did a little bit of Saints talk along with some NBA talk uh, during the interview as well. So. Uh, enjoy it and let's get to it. So we, we are back with another episode of Ask Philip, and today we're talking about healthcare law, which I think uh, I think there were already some changes happening, but COVID accelerated it. And today I have Steve and and Stephen. Um, I don't want to mess up your last name. Go ahead and pronounce that for me, so I can make sure I pronounce it right for the rest of the podcast. Angelette. Angelette. All right. And, and Steve is an attorney, healthcare law specialty here in the Dallas Metroplex. And so, but before before we get into healthcare, let's actually like flip the question. Let's talk about the NBA first. Like, who's your who do you have winning for the uh, for the championship this year? Well, you know, I kind of was uh, was on the Bucks bandwagon, um, but I feel like after they struggled a little bit with the Magic, they lost the first game against the Heat. I don't know if they have all the horses to support Giannis uh, anymore. So I feel like I, you know, I feel like I'm, I'm thinking the Clippers. Thinking the Clippers. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, um, they, they really, they handled um, um, Dallas. And I thought Dallas was going to like give them a run for their money. I thought they were going seven games. They just said, all right, cool. We're about to go ahead and handle this. <laughs> well, Porzingis getting hurt, you know, I mean, affected it, but I just think they have just like a lot of good guys, you know. I mean, I think, um, you know, that like they have a lot, they can play a lot of different ways, you know. I mean, like Lou Williams comes in, it's a totally different thing. Harold comes in, it's a totally different thing, you know, and they haven't even really had Beverly uh, for the first series. So they have more talent than they've actually shown, you know. So I really, I think they have a lot of guys that can, slow LeBron down. Um, so I really, you know, I, I'm from New Orleans originally, so I have some particular anger at Anthony Davis. Uh, so, uh, and I've seen him kind of not dominate, even though he clearly is capable of dominating. I just don't know if, if they can slow LeBron down. I don't really believe AD can dominate, you know, to win three games for them, you know. Um, mm. So I, you know, so I'm going Clippers. Yeah, that 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 would be interesting. But on the Porzingis note, I, you know, I'm trying to think in the last five years when Porzingis made it, you know, you know, a season without being hurt. He, you know, because Chris Chris Paul has that has that uh the issue, but Porzingis is worse. I mean, Porzingis is, you know, if he plays more than 70 games for the season, like he's gonna be hurt 71 games because he's good when he's good. But that's just a tough bet. So I, I I wonder if they're gonna keep if Dallas is gonna keep him or just kind of build build outside of him. 
Yeah, I, I'll be interested because I, you know, we're riding Luca too hard right now. You know, like, mm-hmm. I mean, he's great, but I just don't, we're, you, you know, we need a secondary person who can take the, take the sort of wear and tear off in a day to day, you know, the whole season, I feel like, you know, I mean, somebody that, you know, I mean, Luke is going to be one of the best players in the league. Seems pretty clear, you know, but Porzingis is not the guy that can take, you know, take the offense over for two quarters. You know, he's a complimentary player and we're paying him like, you know, he's Paul George. So um, I agree. I agree. I agree. I agree. With you. Yeah. So I mean, if he can't stay on the court, then we need somebody else. Speaking speaking of uh, what they, what they, they start calling him uh, Pandemic P, he finally came back because he was playing terrible for like <laughs> – the first few games. Well, and you know, even the game that he had 35, that game when it was close, Kawhi was the one that was killing us. You know, and then like, you know, they get up 20 and all of a sudden he's like stepping over our guys and like like mean mugging guys running down the court. I mean, it's like, come on, man, like, you know, you you didn't do this. You're just there, you know. So I I have I've been pretty – because I thought he was – I mean, I thought the two of them together would be unbelievable. But even that game, I feel like he kind of – I mean, you knew the media would, you know, say it was his comeback game. He's back on track. But I feel like he got 20 points and, like, almost all his, you know, like, stats after Kawhi already kind of won the game for them. So, I'm I'm a little skeptical about him. And I feel like it's kind of in his head too mm-hmm. uh you know i mean i feel like he i mean you know it's not hard to find headlines about how he's you know playing like trash and you know, like uh, did you see that charles barkley quote where he said uh they can't call him playoff p if he uh if he can't score in the playoffs he's like nobody calls me championship chuck <laughs> <laughs> i thought that yeah. was pretty good so that is so, so the Clippers played next um, Denver, right? Because Denver won last night, and uh, that'll be a good one. Because I forget his name, Jamal um, Murray. Yeah, yeah, he's. He, I I didn't even know who he was until four weeks ago. So I agree. I agree. I, I have a good friend who's in Denver, um, and so I've kind of like just from talking to him, I have like a little finger on the pulse of Denver because just him complaining about Murray being total up and down, you know, and then he just rips off like three 50 point games in a row. <laughs> He's like, oh, okay. No one's ever done that. So I, yeah, I don't know what to expect from them. I, I kind of think if they could put Beverly on him and just annoy him and bang him and just like, I, I feel like Murray's a little young to hang, to, to deal with that. Just like, like a, I mean, Beverly's just like a professional, like annoying dude. Oh, he's, he's gonna get he's, under your he's, skin. He he's a modern day Vernon Maxwell. You remember Vernon Maxwell? Yep, yep, yep. You're right. That's a great comparison. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm a Rockets fan, so you know, uh, grew up in Houston, and that's that was my team. So I, you know, Michael Jordan said the only person he was ever afraid of was Mad Max because he would, you know, just bully him on the court, and then after the game would bring your son to him and say, hey, can you sign my son's autograph? And he's like, crazy. (laughs) Well, those guys are always the ones that are like, oh, I just leave it all on the court, you know? And it's like, well, dude, you, you know, you, you like punch me in the face. Like, you know, like, I don't, 
I'm not just leaving it on the court. It's not like it was a hard foul, you know. That's a, a like like Patrick Beverly, you know. Like I'm, I can't imagine the stuff he says to these guys during the game. I mean, you just like see their reaction and how angry they get at him. I mean, I just, I mean, I'm sure he says some crazy stuff. Yes, sir. Well, let's 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 get let's get into to to healthcare law. I um I can't say I disagree with your with, with your pick. I don't, you know, I would hope the Rockets would win, but I know they're not going to win. So, I think you're <laughs> I think you're probably right. Um, how did you how did you get into healthcare law? Uh, well, you know, I was uh I was pre med all through college. Took the MCAT. Was kind of interviewing at medical schools, and uh, you know, I love being in healthcare facilities. I love healthcare practitioners, you know, I mean, I think that they are, you know, even the business people um, that work at hospital systems and that work at different types of healthcare providers really um, do business in a way that's for the benefit of their clientele, you know, in a way that other business just doesn't. Um, partially because that's how you make money is taking good care of the patients. But, you know, there's something else to it, you know, to taking care of people's bodies and taking care of uh, their minds that changes the mindset of a business. And I've always, I've always enjoyed that. And when I was interviewing at medical schools that, you know, everybody in uh, undergrad that's pre-med knows each other because you took all the same classes and everyone was just talking about all the different ways that the medical schools were going to teach these classes. And I just realized that I just, just did not enjoy science. Didn't really like the whole idea of curing disease <laughs> myself. I liked the kind of bedside manner. I liked you know, talking to patients and I just, you know, it, it was pretty clear. I, I feel like that I just wasn't, it was just going to take, you know, the four years of med school. I just was just going to hate the science of it. And so, um, so, you know, I've always been sort of like, uh, you know, a good writer. And uh, so went into law school, but kept an eye on being involved in the healthcare community and the healthcare business world. And so, you know, went to a law school at St. Louis University. It's the best healthcare law school in the country. And um, during that time, there was the uh, kind of Obama-McCain debates about uh, healthcare and the future of healthcare, the Republican plans and the, the and the Democrat plans. And then once Obama was elected, the debates about the Affordable Care Act and the implementation of the Affordable Care Act. And so it was a fascinating time to be part of healthcare academics um, and policy. And so since then, you know, after that, I went to work for a, um, a, a law firm that specialized in or had a, had a group that specialized in healthcare in New Orleans and then moved over to uh, the firm I'm at now, Polsonelli, that has one of the largest healthcare groups in the country. So, um, you know, I've always been, always been interested in the policy and always enjoyed working with healthcare business people and practitioners. And uh, so it's fine, you know, it's, and I still enjoy it uh, just as much now. Okay. And so, and like I mentioned in the beginning, I, I, I always felt like um, there were some changes coming to, to healthcare, but I think COVID accelerated a, a lot of things. Uh, maybe I'm right, maybe I'm wrong. I'm, I'm clueless when it comes to it, but this is how I felt. But, um, you know, do you agree with that? And if, and if so, like what changes do you see uh, in healthcare, you know, accelerate because of COVID? Yeah, I think you, you know, I think you, your, your intuition is exactly correct. You know, I mean, there's been a trend towards, you know, kind of two things. One is, you know, the, the telemedicine concept of, you know, receiving healthcare virtually. Um, and the other one is the concept of preventative care and, you know, continuity of care post, you know, kind of acute event 
being what's really good for the patient, you know, and, and, and the idea that preventing the, the patient from getting readmitted to the hospital for complications with the same, uh, you know, uh, uh, illness that they received treatment for is that should be a goal that should never occur because, you know, the reason a patient gets readmitted is that what, you know, assuming that we, the healthcare provider performed the treatment appropriately, some, some point post-discharge or post-leaving the doctor's office or the hospital, they, they, they didn't follow the right protocol. You know, they, they weren't listening to, you know, they didn't take their medication. You know, they, they didn't reach out to the, to the doctors or the nurses with questions when they started to have uh, complications that they weren't expecting. Um, and so as a result, it just kind of got worse and worse until they got, went back to the hospital. And, you know, going to the hospital is not good for a patient, you know, for many reasons. Um, but you go because it's, you know, the place where you can get uh, the most comprehensive care. But keeping people out of the hospital will keep people the healthiest um, and will be the cheapest way to care for them um, to the kind of healthcare system as a whole. And so, you know, when those ideas, I think, were present in people's minds and have been increasing points of conversation in the healthcare community over the last, you know, you know, say 20 years. Um, and then, you know, the first cases of COVID occurred and, and number one, the first thing that happened is that nobody wants to see anybody in person um, or are prohibited from seeing people in person um, because, you know, obviously the disease is, is easily transmissible. And so um, telemedicine was an obvious solution to that problem. You know, there's, because there's no cure for COVID and there's no, there's no drug to kind of really treat COVID or there wasn't in the beginning, it, there wasn't really any reason to see a doctor um, in person until, you know, you, you had a really serious case. Um, but, you know, and, and so as a result, you know, telemedicine for COVID cases and for anything that wasn't COVID that didn't require, you know, emergency surgery, everyone was obviously really inclined to see a doctor virtually. And so, you know, telemedicine is the obvious solution to that. And I think the federal government and state governments responded to that in a really cool way, which is that they really kind of um, allowed for, uh, you know, in a, a number of states allowed physicians to practice in that state without a license. If they were licensed in another state, uh, you know, the, the CMS, which is the uh, federal agency that administers Medicare and Medicaid. Um, Medicare is, you know, the um, healthcare for old people. Medicaid is healthcare for poor people. And uh, relaxed a lot of the rules around that to allow telemedicine to be provided pretty much any way that someone could cobble together, uh, which was, I think, a really, um, you know, aggressive and valuable uh, way that the state and federal governments kind of approach the situation. And I think, you know, the, the big worry of telemedicine is that there's something to the idea of a healthcare provider touching the patient that will allow them to not miss anything, you know? Mm. Um, and so, you know, something's lost in the virtual transmission that, you know, increases the chances that the patient will have a, some kind of negative effect, you know? And there was never really, no, there was never really that really data on that. Um, but it's an understandable feeling, you know, um, that something's lost in this, in, in the virtual treatment, but, you know, the early results, uh, well, the, the kind of data over the last 
10 years has, has not really shown that, um, that there's an increase of uh, negative consequences for patients, an increase of medical malpractice claims, you know, related to telemedicine. The data hasn't really shown that. And, you know, this kind of necessary experiment, the early results have kind of said the same, that, you know, for most types of, obviously there's some types of care you need to be seen in person for, but, you know, for a lot of different types of care, there's not something lost that's negative to the patient in this, um, you know, from a medical perspective. And that was an experiment worth doing, but it's a hard experiment to do when you're, you know, uh, there's no driving force for it. Um, but, you know, what's occurred is that I, I think it was a valuable telemedicine experiment that I think is going to drive more people to use it, um, both patients and healthcare providers, uh, because I think they understand that there's obvious benefits to it and that for a lot of different types of care, there's nothing lost. Hmm. Okay. And, and, and so what, and you, do you have the post on any future changes you think, you know, might be coming, you know, because, and, and we talked about this offline, like, you know, we need, we need regulations. They're, they're important, but sometimes they, you know, too many regulations hinder innovation. But do you think now they're loosening up that, you know, there's some future, some, some even more changes that might be coming down the pipeline? And we can just speculate, I, I, right? Yeah. No, I, I mean, I think you can tell from the way that the state and federal governments have reacted that some of the loosening of regulations is going to stay. Um, I think that the there was a couple of interesting studies done by CMS uh at the end, end of April and the end of June, that basically surveyed healthcare providers uh, to say, how much telemedicine do you think you're going to do, or how much were you doing pre-pandemic? How much do you think you're going to do post-pandemic? Um, and basically about, providers said about 9% of the care they provided pre-pandemic was uh, telemedicine. And in April, providers were saying about 60% of the care they were providing was telemedicine. Um, they anticipate that it'll be that it'll, and this is just doctors guessing, but um, but they think that it'll be about 21% of the care they provide post pandemic. So you know, 21% is still not a huge number, but a 12% increase, you know, in the use of telemedicine because of let's say a year long, you know, thing like this is massive. It's a massive change, you know, to the way that that healthcare providers do business. And I think CMS hears that and is seeing, you know, some positive results. There's been pressure on them to loosen their regulations on this already. And I think the positive feedback that I think people are hearing for telemedicine is going to spur the federal government and states to, to keep some of these regulations looser. Um, and what that allows for is, um, you know, number one, more companies to do it um, because there's less hoops to jump through. And number two, more innovation um, because you don't have to fit into this box. You know, you could potentially uh, do a lot of different, uh, you know, a lot of different things through telemedicine that are, you know, maybe a little more uh, informal than, okay, I, you know, I have a sore throat. I need to see the doctor. I set up a doctor appointment and that doctor prescribes me medication for strep throat. But more so, you know, like, uh, you know, there's a number of kind of venture capital backed companies that are doing kind of like uh, women's health education 
where you have a women's, you know, you just have a question about, um, you know, whatever it is, you know, like uh, uh, they're having a period, and, but it's irregular for some reason, and they're not sure why. So, you know, you Google, but what is, you know, what do you really find out through Google? Then, you, you know, but you can pose a question through kind of like a chat through this website. And that person can provide you some educational materials or connect you with a physician on call immediately. And so, or a nurse on call or whatever that type of thing is to where it's this kind of fluid thing where someone's just having an issue. They don't really know if it's an issue, you know, but it's different than what they've felt before. So there's kind of like an education piece, which is non-professional, you know, just a person who knows stuff about women's health, you know, has done some research or maybe even just has a script of answers to here's the 15 most asked questions and here's some resources for them to review. And then to say, if you're worried about this, I can put you in touch with a doctor or a PA or a nurse practitioner right now, and they can see you, you know, and, and so those kind of models, you know, I think um, are going to proliferate um, and, and, and other technologies of, you know, just stuff that help monitor you, monitor you while you're at home, you know, like just kind of truly new cool inventions, you know, that like, um, you know, there's, there's these kind of continuous glucose monitors that diabetics use that can determine if your blood sugar is getting too low, but you can use that kind of technology for all kinds of things. You know, someone whose cancer is in remission, you know, I mean, there are uh, body factors that it can measure to identify if, you know, you may be having an increase in production of uh, T cells or whatever, you know, like to where we can really track some things about people's bodies and then that tracking device alerts a healthcare provider that something may be going on. And they can just get in touch with the patient and say, hey, we saw this, something's elevated. Let's talk about it and, you know, see if maybe you need to get on a different medication or, you, you know, we need to do a biopsy or whatever it is. You know, like that kind of stuff um, with looser regulations, more people are going to get in there and innovate. And I think it's going to have good results for patients, you know. Yeah, and it's funny you say that, right? Because uh, so with our car insurance, maybe it was earlier this year or it was last year, we got the thing where it you put it in your car, and uh, and it tracks your your driving and your speed, and and we get a discount, right? Uh, if you're a terrible driver, maybe you don't want it, but we're safe drivers, so uh, you know. So we had it, and uh, and and, I, and around the same time, about my Apple Watch, and you know, Apple, uh, you know, I. I Put, put all my health stuff in there. I track my weight daily, you know, track my exercise, track my heart rate. And, and and during the pandemic, probably like a lot of people, I just, I bought some more life insurance, right? Lady came to my house, you know, got my blood work, all that. And I, and I was thinking, I was like, man, this would really be dope if like Apple got in the healthcare business and you just kind of you know, you paid some monthly subscription, you know, when you got your iPhone and then, you know, it's more preventative, right? So my doctor always has my, you know, my exercise, my heart rate, what, you know, what I'm doing, maybe that affects my insurance premiums. If I'm, if I'm more active than that, I'm, I'm, I'm sure that they can figure out the math, but uh, I would imagine, I mean, it, um, like what's the, I know a Apple and an Amazon and Google want to get into healthcare, but what's the, you know, is regulation going to stop them or you think, no, nah, it's a foregone conclusion. Like they're coming into business. Well, um, 
you know, that's a great, I mean, that's, that's a great example of what, of, of what I'm talking about, the better example. And because the fluidity of all that data together um, can really help a healthcare provider do a good job with your health, you know, um, because all they're doing when they do it, you know, like a patient history is just asking you those questions and then they have to just believe what you say, you know, and you know, people's memories are faltered. People don't want to say they smoke. People don't want to, I mean, there's a million reasons why you would, that information would be inaccurate, you know? Um, so that kind of continuous monitoring of your body function was what that basically is. It's incredibly valuable data for, for a healthcare provider to have while treating you. Um, and so, you know, if, you, you know, there's kind of like a, a privacy question of how comfortable people are on that spectrum of like, how much data do you just want to give over to our kind of like tech overlords? Um, but, you know, like assuming that, you know, if you accept that it's for your benefit, then, um, you know, there's some really cool things people could do with that. Um, you know, I, it's hard though for new companies to get into healthcare, you know, um, because healthcare, number one, our system is complicated. Um, you know, it's uh, fragmented because, you know, people have different insurance, um, because states have different, uh, different laws for, um, you know, for insurance. Um, states have, um, healthcare providers have different medical records, so they don't have access to your medical record if you usually go to this other healthcare provider. You know, the fragmentedness of healthcare in America kind of like gets in the way of that. And one, you know, if Apple is willing to solve that problem, then great. But the problem is, you know, the technology is not the issue. You know, like we have interoperable technology that could, you know, share your medical record with every healthcare provider in the country. But every healthcare provider in the country is on a different electronic medical record and, you know, your insurance company doesn't want to share that with you. And so like, it's not that we don't, we don't have like, you know, some good big electronic health record that can keep everybody's medical information on it. It's that there's other stuff, you know, that, mm. that's blocking it. And so, you know, it wouldn't be a technology fix. So, I mean, I'm sure Apple could design like a very sweet, uh, you know, sort of like virtual health experience, but that's, I don't really feel like just because it would be kind of like, more value, more useful doesn't mean that solves the problem. You know, the other problems are in the way. And I think, you know, that's kind of the thing, you know, when uh, JP Morgan and uh, Amazon and uh, Berkshire Hathaway, you know, formed their kind of conglomerate healthcare combination that everybody thought was going to disrupt healthcare and show everybody the right way to do it. You know, they hired Atul Gawande, who's a genius um, to be the CEO um, you know, the, the venture was called Haven and, you know, they, they ran into the same issues everybody else runs into, which is, mm. you know, like it's hard to, it, it's hard to navigate the healthcare system in a way that creates fluidity for patients because you, you have, there's just, there's fundamental barriers that you can't really overcome, you know, with insurance companies and electronic medical records and all that, you know? And I think, you know, and, and maybe, they, maybe they'll solve it over time. Um, and I think, you know, I think the, the demise of Haven has been kind of overstated because I think Atul Gawande left as the CEO partially because he really wanted to be helpful in 
the pandemic, not because he thought it wasn't going to work. Um, but, you know, but I, I think, the, you know, the way that we can maybe overcome it is that people really do, people like you or me, really do trust, like, the way Apple takes care of our data. And that's why you're willing to kind of load it all up into a database that, you know, you assume they are aggregating and selling in different ways, right? Um, but you're okay with that because you, you know, you, you don't think they're going to do anything nefarious with it, and it has benefits for you. And so, you know, a company like that, it seems like we'll have to be the one to solve this because they will have to have earned, uh, you know, earned our trust, so to speak, through all the other ways they've used our data, you know. Um, but we have to overcome these kind of different health insurance problems and electronic medical record problems, you know, on the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so if, if I'm hearing it right, it, 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 it probably would be easier if, let's say, Apple, I trusted Apple they offered it and then apple said hey in order to make this work better go pull all of your records you, you know maybe they create like a little i can have like um you know the crypto assets you have like a, a little key fob where you protect it so i say hey i'll put it all on here you guys can have access to it if you know if you protect it and i give them all my information and then that you know by the way, like most people won't do that, but probably early adopters would, but that would kind of help solve the problem. Yeah. And, you know, uh, I mean, that's a great example because if the patients all demand this, the healthcare providers and the insurance companies will do it. You know, I mean, like that's a service industry, you know, there's a lot of competition in the market. So if we all say, look, if, you know, this hospital will load up my information on the key fob, if you don't do it, I'm going to go get care from them. And, you know, or this insurance company, you know, refused to participate in Apple's thing, you know, then I'm going to switch insurance because, you know, if we demand it, they'll do it. You know, right now, I, I think part of the problem is people just don't understand. And I mean, it's really hard to understand. This is not a criticism, but people don't want to spend the time understanding how all the things work together to try to put pressure on the industry to change. And if Apple you know, can communicate that, um, you know, in a way that says like, look, don't, wouldn't it be nice if every, any person that provided healthcare to you had immediate access to your medical records and your history, the history of your care and, and how you live your life, you know, like, yeah, of course, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so it's kind of, you know, I mean, it's, uh, I mean, there are other issues to it that are kind of, functional issues, but mm. all those are solvable. You know, I mean, there's people that know how to do smart stuff with technology, you know, like we could solve the technology problems. You know, it's a, I, we have to drive change by, by knowing how to ask for it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, I like that. I like that. I'm, I'm hoping. And, and, and my thoughts is my, my thoughts are always, if, if, if I'm with my feeble mind can conceptualize an idea, it already dropped into like some really smart people's mind probably five years ago. So my hope is that it's, uh, it's, it's coming down the road. Cause that would be, that would be so awesome. I think, and I think it'll be m more inexpensive on the health insurance side for people that are willing to, you know, share their information early on. So. Yeah. Well, and you know, one of the things that costs a lot about healthcare is people duplicate tests, you know, because, they got a test from one healthcare provider, they go to another healthcare provider, but those people don't have access to their medical record or they don't trust the other person or something, you know, and so they do the test again, you know, and all those things, 
you know, you do the test again, the insurance company has to pay for it. Maybe they decide to raise everybody's rates a little bit if enough people do that. Maybe they decide to negotiate with the healthcare provider to pay them a little less because of that. You know, I mean, all those things make healthcare more expensive, you know, and, mm-hmm. um, you know, that, I mean, streamlining medical records would, would just make, would eliminate a lot of that just because, you know, that information would be more freely available. So, I, I mean, I, I think you're right on the head. And I think, you know, I don't, I mean, just because someone conceived of it five years ago, you know, I mean, what has to happen is that, you know, um, people that have influence and are thoughtful are starting to, you know, sort of like push this idea and get behind products that are doing it, you know, and, and that's the part, that's the, I mean, it, people have had mm-hmm. tons of great ideas that never happened, you know? So, um, I mean, people like you are the ones that could actually make it happen. So, so, so the last question for, for asking my football question, this what this one that we, that we didn't talk about, but like if, if I'm, if I'm in the healthcare business and I'm listening to this podcast, um, what are some things that you're like advising your clients on what they need to think about and do uh, given the, the new either opportunity uh, available or just the new environment period? Well, I think, you know, if you're a big, if, you know, if you're a big system, um, you know, it's clear that you need to use some of the infrastructure that you've built up to do telemedicine and to do virtual care um, during this time, use it to truly expand into that space, you know, like use that infrastructure you built, not as like a temporary fix for this problem, but to expand you into a new vertical. So to use a sort of consultant words, um, you know, to use a new, you have a new service line that you built out of necessity, um, that you can offer to your patients and that can allow you to see more patients more quickly and, uh, in a different way that may be preferable to them. Um, for a lot of different reasons, um, you know, for smaller healthcare providers, there's an opportunity to innovate um, and to find, you know, spaces where, uh, you know, people need care and that you can help people, you know, not have to go to the hospital, um, not have to go see the doctor. Um, you know, if you can innovate in that, in those, you know, those kind of smaller spaces of preventative care and, um you know, kind of coordinating care post-discharge from the hospital. Um, you know, you don't have to be a doctor to help someone understand, you know, their when they need to take their medicine and to, you know, help someone understand, you know, like that their uh, their living environment needs to be safe so that they don't, they don't fall. You know, like, I mean, there's a lot of space um, for that type of company sort of transitional care um, is what, seems to be the buzzword for it. There's a lot of space for that type of company to contract with healthcare providers to help their patients, you know, and, um, you know, those types of companies that keep people out of the hospital and keep people healthy once they've had a, you know, kind of medical incident, um, I, I think are going to become more and more valuable um, because both healthcare providers and patients are seeing the benefit of that, um, of that spending a little money on that to keep them from the big cost. Okay. And, and, uh, so, so, so football question. Now I, I told myself I was going to do a draft this year. I didn't do a draft. I've never done a draft. I just, uh, and I want to do one just to do it. So I know, I know Sunday was the draft, uh, Sunday, but, uh, who, who, who's your pick for the, for the NFL season that's about to get started? 
Well, um, you know, I'm a Saints fan, um, same as I'm an AD hater. So, um, you know, I'm hopeful that the Saints uh, can stop uh, stop either choking or getting screwed over in the playoffs and make it happen this year. Um, you know, they got a lot of continuity. So, you know, they don't have to practice as much. <laughs> I don't think too much practicing is going to get done this year. <laughs> uh, so I'm going, I'm going for the Saints. Okay, I don't, I don't think we talked about that. I'm a Saints fan too, so. Um, oh really? Yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's weird how it happened, uh, you know, because I'm from Houston and we grew up on the Oilers, and so I never followed the Titans to uh, Tennessee. So I and I, I didn't really do football until I met my wife. So when I met my wife, to, to, uh, I don't, I don't think we had the Texans quite yet. They came a few years into our marriage, and. Um, or if we did, I was not a, you know, I grew up watching the Oilers. I grew up watching the Rockets. I grew up watching the Astros. I don't have any, I didn't have any childhood emotional affiliation. So we, but we go to New Orleans every year. So one year she was like, well, Philip, you got to pick a team. Cause I tried the Cowboys and I hated them. You know, really just more the owner annoyed me than anything. Um, and so I was like, look, we love New Orleans. Let's just be a Saints fan. Right. And I didn't know who was on the team, you know, um, and so I became a Saints fan. So I, uh, I annoy the, I love annoying the Cowboys fans because for some reason people here love to hate the Saints. I don't know why that is in Dallas. It, they just love hate. Don't it really fans. is the thing. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, and you know, there's a, a lot of Cowboys fans in our office, of course. You know, and it was you know they always I was always saying like, hey, let's like make a bet on the game. And then when Drew Brees was hurt this year, everybody wanted to make a bet on the game, you know, like, it was like, Oh, now you want, now you want to make a bet on the game. Now that you're good. And our quarterbacks are, uh, that's good. That's good. I, I mean, I love New Orleans too. We go back all the time. So I'm glad anybody who likes New Orleans, I feel like is, is a, someone that I will like. Yeah, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Well, um, how, how can everybody get a hold of you if, if they're interested in getting more information about uh, your services? Sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, um, I work at Postinelli PC. Um, we help all healthcare businesses of all different size and shapes. Um, you know, my phone number is 214-661-5563. And, um, you know, we, we love to talk about um, new ideas. We love to talk to big hospital systems about, um, you know, complicated problems. And we like to help um, new companies get off the ground and develop new technologies. So, uh, yeah, I just like to talk about healthcare. I like to talk about healthcare business, and um, so uh, always available. Awesome. Well, I appreciate your time and your input. Yeah, great to talk to you. If you are interested in having a review of your portfolio or to see how far on track you are with your retirement goals, Philip offers complimentary consults through his company, Stonehill Wealth Management. For more information, log on to StonehillWealthManagement.com forward slash talk. That's StonehillWealthManagement.com forward slash talk. Philip Washington Jr. is a registered investment advisor. Information presented is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities, investments, or investment strategies. Investments involve risk and, unless otherwise stated, are not guaranteed. Be sure to first consult with a qualified financial advisor and or tax professional before implementing any strategy discussed herein. Past performance is not indicative of future performance.